Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 26 and beginning with verse 36, we find Jesus in a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane actually means the pressing of oils or the oil press. It's literally a place where the the wine was pressed, and there was a pressing or a pressure that's about to take place physically in the life of Jesus in this very place. And in verse 36, we pick up, and it says, Jesus came with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Sit here while I Go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. We know that this is right on the the precipice of him being arrested, being handed over to his enemies. He knows that his time now is at hand, this time of the ultimate of his assignment, the, the penultimate of assignment of what he was called to do and assigned to do. Again, his, his mission was to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus's mission was not to come to this earth, die on a cross for your sins, shed blood so that you could get to heaven one day. That was not Jesus's mission. Jesus's mission was to reinstate, reintroduce uh, the uh, kingdom of God into this realm, into the earth. It was to get God's original plan of bringing his heaven, extending his heaven to this earth, and man fell short. Man uh, failed by not remaining submitted to God as his authority. Therefore, man lost uh, the authority he was given. And so now Jesus has come as a king. He came as a king, but not as a king as you and I would expect. He came as a suffering servant. He came to show us that the way up is down. And he came to show us that the kingdom I'm bringing is the kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of mercy. It's a kingdom of grace. And so he came to bring this kingdom back into this earth. But his assignment, his assignment and how he was going to accomplish this was to eventually die on the cross, give up his life as the one sinless person that's ever walked this planet, lay down his life, became sin for you and I so that you and I could receive the life of his. So he's about to go to this ultimatum of his assignment. This is, this is the crux of why uh, he came to this earth. And it says that he became extremely sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is Jesus in his humanity. Okay. Jesus was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent human. You're not supposed to be able to figure that out. So if you think you've got that figured out, please come explain it to all of us. But I'm not supposed to figure that out. That was how Jesus operated in this earth. He's 100% God, but the Bible says that he laid down his royalty. He laid down his heavenly privilege, and he took on the suit and the, the, the uh, assignment of mankind and, mankind and became humanity as well. And in his humanity, he's deeply sorrowful, deeply distressed because he's no, he knows what he's about to endure. He knows not just the physical torment he's about to endure, but he also knows that ahead of him is separation from his father who he's never been separated from before. This is all that Jesus endured and took on. So he's deeply sorrowful, deeply 
distress. That's his physical state. That's his fleshly state. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, even to the point of death. One translation I read reads it this way. It feels as if I'm dying. That's how sorrowful and distressed uh, and, and, and tormented he is, even leading up to this, that he's already feeling the effects of what he's about to endure coming into his body. He says, stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In essence, what he's saying is, God, if you, Father, if you have a plan B, if there's another way to orchestrate this thing, now's a good time to, you know, this would be a good time to let me, you know, that, that whole, you know, ram in the thicket thing. This would be a good time to stop the sword from piercing Isaac and, and, and say, hey, we don't have to do it this way. I've got another plan. If you've got another way, this would be the time to show up. But ultimately, what does he say? Not my will. Again, Jesus in his humanity, just like you and I, had an opportunity to succumb to a fleshly desire, even though it opposed and contradicted God's spiritual intent for Jesus. And all of us, this is really where Jesus takes up his cross, if you want to be honest. And all of us have this moment, have an opportunity where our humanity and our flesh and what we desire and what we want to do comes into contact with what the kingdom wants for us and the two are directly opposed. And you may be looking for a way out. You may have a will that's outside of God's will. Notice here, Jesus says, not my will. Meaning, that Jesus in this moment had a different will. I really don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. I really don't want to endure what I'm about to endure. In my, in my flesh, in my humanity, I don't want to have to go through what I'm about to go through. He says, not my will, but your will be done. He went, um, verse 40, he came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. That's, that's great, right? Your, 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 your prayer closet buddies, uh, your intercessor group, right? Uh, man, this is like the, the most trying time of your life. How many times has Jesus been there for them? Right? How many times has he come through for them? How many times has he shown up for them? And, and in this one moment where I'm asking something of you, you're asleep. I mean, you're banned from my prayer group at that point. Like, I'm not asking you to pray for my dog. I'm not asking you to pray for the, you know, nothing. I'll just do it myself. Jesus comes back and they're asleep. And he said to Peter, what? With an exclamation mark, he exclaimed it. Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 41 says, watch and pray. He says, lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Then look at this next statement. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not what he was just experiencing? 
not my will, but your will. And he makes a statement, the spirit is willing. You know, your spirit being, your innermost being, who you really are. You are a spirit, possess a soul, and live in a body. But this house, this temple, this body is not really you. Your spirit is the real you. Your spirit on the inside, when, 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 when the spirit of God it, it makes contact with your spirit, your spirit says, yes, that's exactly what I want. God never has to convince your spirit to perform the will of God. God never has to convince your spirit, man, who you really are, to get in alignment or to get in the plan of God. Your spirit, man, is already there. He's made righteous. He's made new. When he comes alive in Christ, now he's dead before. When, when, you're, in, when you're lost and you are uh, uh, disassociated from the kingdom and apart from God, you haven't yet been saved, you haven't yet been converted, then yeah, your spirit man is dead. It, it, it has no effect. But then when your spirit man comes alive, that's a whole new life. That's a whole new life. And your spirit man from that point on isn't sitting back picking and choosing what it wants of God's plan and of God's will and of God's purpose and God's intent. It knows what the plan of God is, is informed by the spirit of God. And now the, the, the spirit on the inside of you is there already. Yes, this is what we need. Yes, that's what the word says. Yes, that's what we need to believe. Yes, that's how we need to operate. And the spirit of fruit, you, 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 you are not the spirit of fruit, the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. You never have to convince your spirit to produce love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You don't have to, you have to convince your flesh to. Right? But your spirit man on the inside has said, walk in love. Your spirit man on the inside, when torment's all around, walk in peace. Fear doesn't have you. Let's walk in peace. Let the peace of God reign in your life. When there's a lack of discipline showing up, the, the spirit on the inside says self-control. It's already there. Your spirit's already there. And in this moment, Jesus knows that we're not trying to get the spirit worked up to do something. But we are trying to get the flesh out of the way to allow the spirit to operate. When we're talking about life in the spirit or life of the spirit, ultimately what we're talking about is honestly, if I can just put it this way, the most natural way you and I ought to be operating in our daily lives. But what's Jesus saying? There's this flesh you got to deal with. In every scenario of life, there will be a flesh versus spirit altercation. There will be a flesh versus spirit confrontation. Now, living in the spirit ought to be a daily habit for the believer. But that's dependent on how much we feed it. That's dependent on how much influence I allow in my life, either toward my flesh or toward my spirit, ultimately, Whichever one I feed gets stronger. And in our daily lives, I can be feeding my flesh, feeding my flesh, feeding my flesh. And then wonder why my spirit isn't alive and wonder why my spirit isn't 
contacting with the Spirit of God, wondering why my spirit isn't taking the lead, wondering why my spirit isn't the captain of my soul, wondering why the spirit is not yielding. It's because you've got, you, you, fed the, you have fed the flesh so much that it has overtaken the ability to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, operate by the Spirit, be sensitive to the Spirit. This should be a daily habit for believers. But here's what Jesus is showing us in this passage. That there will be moments in our lives of urgency. There will be moments in our lives as believers, and if I can just make it even more generic, as the church as a whole, there will be seasons that we will enter where there will be an even more necessity of awareness and sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. And in this garden, this oil press, this pressing place, and with what Jesus is about to endure, what he's saying to his disciples, what he's saying here to Peter, James, and John, is the Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing. The Spirit wants what God wants. But if you aren't careful, the flesh will drown out. He's saying, watch and pray. Now, he's not talking about sitting up looking like this and praying at the same time. He's not talking about a natural watchfulness. He's talking about a spiritual watchfulness. And even as I was studying this passage and reading this passage, I felt so much like the church is in a Gethsemane season. And where God is telling us as the church and the, and, and the, 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 the local church, but, but I believe as the church universal, what we're on the cusp of and what we're on the edge of and what is about to happen in these last days, he needs a church with a heightened awareness. He needs a church with an increased sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He needs a church with a supernatural responsiveness to things, not a natural responsiveness to things. Oh, if Peter would have listened to these words, maybe he would not have pulled out the sword trying to physically kill what was a supernatural thing. And this is what is happening is, is when we as believers are not spiritually aware and spiritually sensitive as we ought to be, we will always find natural things to make up the deficiency. It's what we do. If we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, we'll make up the difference ourselves. <laughs> Won't we? Won't we? We'll, we'll, find a, we'll find natural means. We'll find natural resources. We'll find a natural way of getting something accomplished that God has given us a spiritual answer to. And in this season and in this moment, Jesus is identifying to his disciples, you need to watch and pray. You need to be in a state of connecting spiritually and disconnecting physically. It's got to be both. It can't be one or the other. I can't add in reading of the word and spending time in prayer and spending time in the spirit along with every other thing that fills my calendar or my schedule. We're going to have to delete some stuff so that we can add some stuff. 
It can't just be thrown in the, in the bucket. We need to empty the bucket and then only put in what is going to allow us to have this spiritual awareness and spiritual sensitivity. And, and we are being called as a church to a heightened level of spiritual sensitivity. I, 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 have, I have the word of the Lord that came to us. It was in a midweek service. And this is what the word of the Lord said. There's got to be a responsiveness. But responsiveness only comes by surrender. The more you will surrender, the quicker you will respond. From the spirit. Jesus had to be in a position that every response given from this Gethsemane moment on, had to be from the spirit and not from the flesh. He could not run the risk of compromising the mission and plan of God by allowing his flesh to get in the way. By allowing his flesh to take the lead, by allowing his flesh to, to, to discern what was happening and respond from a rational awareness or a natural awareness or this is how we you you, you see the the you, you see the contrast between Jesus's disciples and Jesus how they responded in these moments Peter ultimately ends up what denying Jesus three times responding from the flesh where Jesus this is pretty neat even by being led by the spirit and being sensitive to what the spirit wanted and what the plan of God was even refrained from responding in moments. Remember that? They're punching him. They're hitting him. They're spitting on him. They're accusing him. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And he keeps his mouth shut the entire time. It will even help you, this sensitivity to the spirit, in times when you shouldn't say anything. When you shouldn't respond, when you shouldn't have, a give, have to give a retort, when you shouldn't have to say something back. This is why this awareness and this sensitivity is so important, and especially in the last days. Here's what I know. The world is watching us. The world is watching the church. The world is looking at you and I. They're watching you how you come into work. They're watching you how you respond to different things. They're why, And maybe they don't even know they are, maybe subconsciously. But there should be such a distinguishing factor about the church and the world that they're, that they're gazing upon. How are those believers? How are those churchgoers? How is that Christian? How is that, that, that person that follows? How are they responding to all this that's happening? Jesus wasn't avoiding the plan of God. He was ensuring that when he got into the plan of God, he would respond only from the spirit and not from the flesh. For he says the spirit is willing. He shows us, he gives us insight. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. This is a spirit versus flesh moment. Watch and pray. The watch and pray was necessary not out of just religious practice or Christian formality. The watch and pray was literally how I'm hooking up with the Spirit of God and what he wants to do. I mean, if we, if we just graded ourselves on that, right? 
Am I hooked up to the Spirit of God? Am I aware of what the Spirit of God is doing, what he's saying, how he would want me to respond in this situation, how he would want me to behave, what he would want me to say? Remember times where, where Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about what you will say when they mock you, when they accuse you, for the what? The Spirit will tell you what to say in the moment. That's a scary place. I mean, don't ask a type A to know what to say in the moment. That's me, by the way. I'm, I'm pointing to myself. Don't, don't ask me. I mean, I, I need preparation. I need a script. I need a thesis. I need a theme. I need a, 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 a two to three sentence that's letting me know what's about to take on here. What if they say this? Then how am I going to respond to that? What if they give me this? And you got to throw all that out of the window. I, I, I was just encouraging someone the other day in a conversation that they were going to have with someone. And they said, well, what if they, re-? and I stopped them. I, I mean, I didn't even let them finish the sentence because I already knew where they were going because I'm like that. When I know I have to confront somebody, challenge somebody, meet with somebody, talk with somebody about something, I mean, I will all day long, it's just more, and I'll, have, I'll even have the conversations to myself, and I'll respond for them, and I'll do a good one where they respond positively, and I'll do a bad one where they respond, and then I go through all the negative scenarios of, well, what if they say this, and they might say this, and they might accuse me of this, and they might, have, and I'll play this over in my mind, and then have the conversation, they're like, yeah, that's fine, no problem. Oh my gosh, are you serious? If I would have just relied on the Holy Spirit. You know what I do? You know what I do on the way to meetings and counseling sessions now? I pray in tongues. I pray in the Holy Ghost. You better believe it. All the way there. My mind is trying to think of everything that can go wrong, and I'm just, I'm just, boom, I'm just shutting all that down. Shutting the flesh down, shutting the mind down, shutting the soul down. I need to get with the Spirit. This could be life or death. This could be life or death. Jesus, this could be life or death. Not just life and death for himself, life and death for an entire nation of people. If I don't follow through with this act according to the plan of God, if I have one slip up, if I watch and pray, get in tune with the Spirit, get connected with the Spirit of God. Quit responding and, and, and discerning things merely from a natural level alone. He gives them the command to watch and pray, lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He pins the two right against each other. A second time he went to pray. If this cup cannot pass from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again. So he left them, went away again, prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples. Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. Guys, it's important for us as a church to know what hour is at hand. What hour are we in? What season not only are we in, but coming upon? And I believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't want us in the dark. He doesn't want us guessing and prodding and, oh, what's going to come here? And what should we do this? Hey, he wants us prepared. He wants us ready. He wants us sensitive. He wants us responsive. Not sensitive like, ooh, touchy-feely. Sensitive like, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And ready to move on an instant. Ready to move on an instant. 
And notice that it was yieldedness. Yieldedness. Jesus' ability to yield to the Father. Not my will, but your will. The more I yield, the more I surrender, the more responsive I become. We don't, we don't have a super responsive church today because we don't have a very yielded church today. But man, when you yield stuff, and especially when it comes to the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, this time that we as a church yield this, this control issue and this control factor of what the Holy Spirit can do and can't do because it's compromising our ability to respond and react when he's calling us. Because I've already put up boxes in which he can operate in. I've already got things that if it goes this way, if it goes, you can do this, you can do this, you can do, but you can't go here, you can't go this long, you can't do that, you can't do this. How on earth do we expect to yield to the Holy Spirit when we put him in a box of what he can even do in our lives. We've got to give the Holy Spirit full control. I mean, someone sent me a thing the other day that said, if you're worried that a move of the Holy Spirit will affect the success of your church, you're already a failure. That's rough. But could it be that we've created boxes and environments that actually limit the very thing that God designed to usher in the Spirit of God? But yet we get so much control of this thing. How, how do we expect people to live a life of the Spirit in the cubicle if we won't allow the power of the Holy Spirit in our church? How do we expect this? It's not going to work on our whim. It's not going to work on our agenda. It's not going to work the way we, Jesus specifically states, not my will, but your will be done. And I have to have a surrender, and I have to have a yieldedness if I'm going to expect to respond according to the Spirit when the moment calls. We need a responsive church in the last days. You could put it this way. The church are first responders. Think about when a first responder shows up on the scene. No matter how dire the situation is, no matter how crazy the crisis is, there is a little bit of, 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 of they're here. And they're the first ones on the scene. And, and you know, there, there's a difference between reacting and responding. And they're not, re like, oh, oh, no, they're bleeding out. What are we going to do? Like, hey, me that, give me that thing and tie it off. I don't know what's going on. Have you ever noticed how simple their movements are, how, how, how coordinated, how delicate, how aware they are? Their I mean, there's a difference between just reacting to something in the world. There's been a lot of reaction over the last two years. But there needs to be some response, a response to what we've seen. And it needs to come from the church. We're the first responders. We're the ones that when, they, when we show up on the scene, the world exhales and says, they're here. And they don't even know why. They don't even know why. But it's, it's, a, it's a 
it's, it's a distinguishing factor about us. It, it's a spiritual uh, 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 connection that we have that we show up and we immediately bring heaven to any situation. Not in a fear and, and panic like they are. Imagine if first responders reacted like the rest of us. 9-11. All of us are coming down the stairs. You know what the first responders would do? Going up the stairs, knowing. That's different. How do you get that way? Yieldedness. Surrender. Letting go of having the control. Recognizing not my will, but your will. That's how we get there. But it's all this battle of spirit and flesh and living in the spirit daily, but then ramping up the urgency, ramping up the intentionality, ramping up and saying, okay, the season's calling for the church to come to pray. The season's call. That's why we're doing Kingdom Rise, because the season is calling for us to rise to who we are, rise to our potential, rise to our ability, rise to our revelation, rise to knowing what this kingdom is all about and bringing the kingdom to the earth. We're not doing just to add services and just to conjure. We're doing it because the season demands it. The season demands that we as a church watch and pray, that it cannot be as it was. It cannot be just formality. It cannot be just the status quo there's got to be something different because you and I are the hope help and healing to the world we're the ones to usher in heaven go with me to Romans chapter 8 he says watch and pray it's not a season for sleeping and resting this is a season for watching and praying being on guard is what that watch means. Set up guard. It's actually a military term. Romans chapter 8. <laughs> it's got to be a responsiveness. Romans chapter 8, reading out of the New King James, starts off in verse 1, and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those, and this is the key, this is the qualifier, and everything else is going to hinge off of this, who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in Christ Jesus, that wasn't just, you know, just a, a, a catchy way of putting this or, or you know, just trying to sound spiritual or, or, or biblical. In Christ Jesus was literally Paul identifying the power of the life you now live. It's as if Jesus were still in this earth. As he is, so are we. And in Christ means I am in him, not just in him as in he, he, he died for my sins and rose again so I can go to heaven one day. In him as in the assignment and the plan and the purpose and the mission he was bringing to this earth. Now we take on that plan, that purpose, and that mission. We now carry. When Jesus went to heaven, it, his assignment didn't end. He just delegated it and passed it on. He did not intend for the things that he did to stop when he left. 
obviously, because we have the book of Acts where his disciples and apostles and, and those that followed in the way literally did what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're casting out demons. They're raising the dead. They're healing the sick. They're, they're, they're seeing believers come into the kingdom, speaking new tongues. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing exactly what Jesus said in the Great Commission. And you and I are not relegated just to read about it. Now you and I get to carry on what they now have left. And so in Christ Jesus is literally our position. In Christ Jesus is literally your identity now. This is a new way of living. We were in darkness. We were in brokenness. We were in separation from God. And now you and I are in this wonderful life of living Jesus Christ in front of people on a daily basis. And this is now the position that he has put us in for the rest of this passage. If you're in Christ Jesus, you do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Immediately, he identifies that this life in Christ, you, the first thing he highlights is now we've got to take care of the difference between living in the spirit and living in the flesh. The first thing he addresses is this idea of spirit versus flesh. Notice that being in Christ, being saved, being born again doesn't mean your flesh just dies off and no longer has any effect over your life and you now get to automatically enjoy the glorious riches of heaven and live out heaven on earth. It doesn't work that way. Now he says, now there's a contention. Now there's a conflict. We have awakened, rebirthed, being made new, born again, the spirit on the inside of you. And the spirit wants the things of God. It doesn't have to be convinced. It doesn't have to be conjured. It doesn't have to be bribed. It wants the things of God. But now we've got this spirit versus flesh contention. Now we've, see, your, your enemy's not the devil. Your enemy's not demons. Your enemy's not sin. Your enemy is not sickness and disease. Your enemy isn't depravity and brokenness. Your enemy isn't fear. Your enemy isn't condemnation. He says there is no condemnation. He just removed condemnation and guilt and shame. He just got rid of all that. He says those aren't your problem anymore. The problem is you. Because now the spirit on the inside wants to perform and do according to the will of God. But your flesh on the outside wants nothing to do. With the will of God. You have a direct conflict that you're living out daily. And a life of the Spirit or a life in the Spirit of God. And a life in the Spirit. Being aware of the supernatural more than the natural. You're always going to have to overcome what your flesh wants to do. He immediately puts this in play. There's no condemnation. You're in Christ Jesus. You do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
There's a fulfillment of what Jesus did. See, what Jesus did on the cross, it's a finished work. It's a completed work, but it's not fulfilled until it comes to fruition in your life. He didn't die on a cross to, so you could tell your kids about it one day and to make a great story and a great testimony about he died, and then three days later, he rose again. Have y'all heard about the story, uh, the family that went to Israel? The family that went to Israel and the mother-in-law died while they were over there in Israel, the man's mother-in-law. So they, they came to the man and they said, you got two options. You, you can ship her back to the United States and bury her there, do the funeral there. It'll cost you $5,000 to ship her over there. We can bury her here in Israel for $150. So he thought about it for a while, and he was like, I'll ship her back to the States. And they were like, why would you choose that? This is way more money. Why wouldn't you just do it here at $150? And he responded, he said, well, you know, there's a story about a man that died here about 2,000 years ago. And three days later, he came back to life. I can't take that chance of her resurrecting. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all heard that one before. I Some of y'all are like, who died in Israel 2,000? The fulfillment of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I'm not getting y'all back after that one. The fulfillment is you and I living out what he graciously offered and made available to us. You and I get to fulfill the plan. We get to fulfill it. We get to live out the righteous requirement. The righteous requirement has been met. You have been made new. You have been restored. You have been redeemed. You have been renewed. And now you and I get to live out. Walking in holiness and righteousness is not a burden and all oh, the weight of trying to do the right thing. Oh, no, you get to live right in a broken world. You get to carry the kingdom everywhere you go. You get to live under an open heaven and receive the blessing that the world could never give you. You get to walk in peace that passes all understanding. You get to have the joy of the Lord being your strength. You get to walk in the graciousness and the goodness and the mercy of God. It's the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled. He goes on to say in verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds. This is where the watch and pray comes into place. See, Jesus was sorrowful and distressed. He's, he's physically feeling this. Notice that Jesus lets us know it, what happened there in Gethsemane. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. You are the controller of what happens in you. And he was sorrowful. And Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that said trial and tribulation may come, but be of good cheer, right? That Jesus is sorrowful and distressed, grieved in his soul. That's literally what the Bible says. And in that moment, he still made a conscious decision. I'm going to walk out of the spirit, not out of the flesh. Not my will, but your will. Why? Because he set his mind. He set his mind. Set your mind on what? Things above, not on things below. For the one that walks in the things of the Spirit and not the flesh is one that sets their minds. The one that walks in the things of the, of, of the flesh, lives according to the flesh, sets their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, <clears throat> the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is 
death. Not just death as in died and gone, but death in separation from the plan of God. Carnally minded is just a mind that could be yielded to the spirit, but instead decides to be yielded to the flesh. And this affects our responsiveness. This affects our yieldedness. This affects our surrender and our ability to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants us to do. And in a time of urgency, in a time where the church is on the cusp of seeing the glory of God, that also means that all hell breaks loose. Why do we have such an easy time believing that all hell can break loose, but we don't readily receive that all heaven can break loose too? It's time for a church to believe that heaven can be loosed as much as the world believes that hell can be loosed. And you might argue back and say, well, it's because it's demonstrated. Well, then it's time to demonstrate heaven. It's time to bring heaven to earth. It's time to show this world the possibilities of the impossible. It's time to show them that darkness can be brought back to light. Things can be restored. Marriages can be renewed. That we can see whole families serving in the church together. That we can see his kingdom come and his will be done. Stop standing by just watching hell break loose and start loosing heaven everywhere you go. All hell hell breaks loose. Oh, yeah, I know, brother. All heaven breaks loose. What are you talking about? Why is there such a separation in our belief? Why is it so easily accepted in one end but not on the other? It's time to make heaven easily accepted. Yeah, you know what? I believe if we speak to that, it'll change. I believe if we lay hands on that, it'll die. I believe that if we rebuke it, it has to. We believe in the impossible as much as we believe in what the devil can do. I mean, honestly, we believe that the devil is mightier than God, that he can do his works and that God can't do his. When the Son of Man returns, he's going to be searching for one thing. Will he find faith in the earth? I don't want him to find me having more faith in the devil than I do in the Father. Wow. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. That means it's set against what God wants. It has no plan. It has no hope of being redeemed and renewed, so you have to kill it. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray with me. If we will become watchful and prayerful, if we will set ourselves to connect with the Spirit of God and the plan of God, watch your flesh die off. Watch its wills and its agendas die off. Watch, I mean, it doesn't have to be this long ordeal. You don't have to go see 50 million therapists and 82 counselors and, and spend all these hours and all these times. Those things are great, but I'm telling you right now what God can do in an instant. He can do it. All the investment that we make in trying to get our flesh to come into alignment, and he says, just kill the thing. Take up your cross in Gethsemane. Yield to my spirit. Yield to what I'm telling you to do. Yield to where I'm telling you to go. Yield to going after the things I'm going after. And this isn't a yielding as in, oh, I don't get to do anything I want. Some of us have to be convinced just to yield to do the great things God is asking us to do. And when I heard the word of the Lord to purchase this property, there was a yielding that took place because I'm thinking, it's a pandemic. 
we don't have that much money. Is that too much for us? To, there, there's things that you have to yield to God to say, no, he called us to do it, and I'm not looking back. We're going. Sometimes we have this idea that yielding just means getting off the stuff you don't want. Sometimes it means taking on the stuff that you know you want and know you need. You just haven't gotten yourself there yet. Let's yield all the way to what God wants to do so that we can respond quickly. Respond quickly from the spirit. Some of us have quick triggers. It's just the wrong one pulling the trigger. Yeah, we got to work on that. Got to work on that. It's not subject to the law, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why don't we start being a church that lives that out? That truly believes greater is he that is in me. And that's not talking about Jesus. Greater is he that is in me. That's not talking about the Father. Greater is he that is in me is talking about the Holy Spirit. The one we don't talk about. You know who the Holy Spirit is? God in the earth. Well, we love to talk about Father God, right? Where's he at? He's in heaven. We love to talk about Jesus, the Son, the Word made flesh dwelt among us. But where's he at now? In heaven. The Holy Spirit, it gets hardly any airtime in churches today. Where's he at? Here. He's right here, assisting you, comforting you, coming alongside you, interceding for you. It's literally here for your purpose to advocate for the church on your behalf. He's the helper. It would be the tactic and, and, and attack of the enemy to make us afraid of the very one that we're supposed to be yielding to. <laughs> No, but he says, he who raised, no, where am I at? You're not in the flesh. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Why? Because the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak to align with the spirit. So you need the spirit to bring its alignment to the flesh so that you do according to the flesh, not according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And he will bring life to even your mortal bodies. The same mortal body that used to shoot up. The same mortal body that used to cuss. The same used to, uh, 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 mortal body that used to walk in hatred. The same mortal body that was jealous and gossiping. All, the same mortal body that was fearful. The same mortal body can now be used as a vessel and a temple by the Spirit of God. That's why the Holy Spirit has to dwell in the temple. For you are the temple. Of the Holy Spirit. We need to be a spirit-led, spirit-giving, spirit-moving, spirit-leading church. There's The Holy Spirit cannot be in the back seat anymore. The Holy Spirit cannot be this, uh, you know, uh, optional add-on if you want to add that to the Christian package that you agreed to. This is, this, is, this is not an option. This is a yieldedness. This is a sensitivity that is on demand for the church of the living God in these 
last days. Watch and pray so that we don't succumb to the things of the day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.